0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Tara Tuttle and with me is Rebecca Mazzino and together we're going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter.
1: Hello, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Welcome especially to listeners in the Philippines. We're very happy to have you. There's quite a lot of you which is delightful. So uh, thanks for tuning in. Today we are talking about beliefs that cause clutter. A lot of our behaviors that cause clutter come from the beliefs that we have and so what we want to do is look at just some of them there's loads but we're just going to look at some of the beliefs today that um, can cause clutter in your life
0: yes where should we start beck should we All right. some of these things we've we've mentioned in passing especially in our early early episodes when we were talking about um, some of the things that hold us back from decluttering. Mm. So there might be a bit of repetition here, but I think they're they're good things still to cover and refresh in people's minds.
1: Mm. Yeah. So when we when I work with clients, one of the things that I do like to do is to establish why the clutter is there and and how it got there. And sometimes it gets there from a logistic. Perspective. So sometimes it's there because a loved one has passed away, and you've got some of their furniture and belongings in your home. Sometimes it's there because you've had um, an illness, and you haven't been able to deal with it in the normal way that you you would deal with it. But a lot of the time, the reasons why we end up in clutter comes back to our values and our beliefs, which then influence our behaviours. And so if we can track. Back, if we can say, all right, I have this particular behavior, and that behavior might be shopping for bargains, or that behavior might be um, not wanting to throw out things, or that behavior might be buying gifts for people, you might then say, okay, so I've got that behavior. That behavior is causing a bit of clutter. And so, how can I? Why am I doing that? What is the reasons around that behaviour? And then, by stepping back into the beliefs and the values that you have, that then trigger those behaviours, you can start to make a change. So, it's very related to cognitive behavioural therapy, actually, um, looking at the behaviour and the influences that cause that behaviour. So, what I've um, spent what I spend a lot of time doing is analysing the causes of clutter and the psychological causes of clutter. And so, this is this is uh, an episode that I'm really quite passionate about and Tara you'll have to just stop me because I reckon we might go for over an hour (laughs) talking about today Um, because once we figure out what our those beliefs are that cause and clutter maybe then we can make some changes for the positive by just re-evaluating those those beliefs because some of them can be really quite unhelpful
0: and I think it's important to not jump into categorizing yourself into having one belief or another quite often we have bits of beliefs from different categories so we might feel a little bit about something and a lot about something else and Mm. they're not all without relationship to each other so sometimes some of the beliefs that we talk about as we work through this episode will fit with you and others will not and others might resonate a little bit but don't worry too much about honing in and and defining exactly why it is just start bringing some awareness to mm. your beliefs and your behaviors and then start trying to act upon them hmm.
1: yeah and it's yeah because it's not going to solve knowing knowing that you have the beliefs and knowing that they cause clutter, cause clutter aren't necessarily going to stop it happening but it's a good first step in that awareness of you know how why you do what you do and sometimes it's good enough just to know why you do what you do without actually making a change and you can feel better just from understanding yourself better
0: mm-hmm. and for people that have relationships with other people who have a lot of clutter around them sometimes this can be really helpful in appreciating that person's position rather than being frustrated and i know a lot of people you know start on their own clutter journey and then you know want their their husbands or their children or or whatever to jump on board but they're resistant and i think if you have a bit of an appreciation that they probably have some beliefs that led them to the position they're in with clutter as well um Mm -hmm. that understanding can go a long way to having some empathy for people
1: yeah and cooperation between between you
0: Absolutely. So let's dive in. Beck, what's what's your first belief that you want to discuss?
1: Um, that buying things makes us happy. And this is very broad and and quite complex. But overall, a lot of us tend to have this belief, and it could be um, a, a, a it's difficult to explain, like a, a, an automatic belief. And then when you think about it, you actually know the truth. But on the surface, you might sort of just occasionally fall into the trap of believing that buying something will make you happy. And uh, so that belief can definitely cause clutter because what we will do is we will use purchasing belongings as therapy and then those belongings then fill up our home um, and it becomes then an an unhelpful result of that belief that buying things makes us happy.
0: Especially because even if you do get that little bit of excitement when you bring something new into your home or into your life, that excitement and happiness does not last. Um, often it can elude you before you've even got home and unpacked the item. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. the joy is found in the acquiring, in the purchasing or finding the item in the first place um, and bringing it home. And then the joy is gone. And so seeking that next hit of dopamine that next bit of joy that you get when you purchase something you will keep acquiring and acquiring but actually owning that item unless it changes your life in some way which we talked about when we were discussing the value of our things quite often that joy is very short lived
1: yeah yeah it is and studies have proven it you know, there's been some more recent studies that have shown that experiences make us more happy than stuff, and so um, we we kind of deep down know it, um, but it's difficult. It's a difficult habit to break. It's it's one of those. It's like you know, it's an addiction really, and you get that initial high, and then you get the hangover, and it's all about breaking that habit and breaking that addiction to that that quick high.
0: And when you, I think something I talk with some of my clients about occasionally is looking back and having a chat with your younger self and you know I know that when I was 17 or 18 I just wanted a car it actually didn't matter what car it was and I thought when I have a car my own car I will be happy Mm. now I've owned plenty of cars since that time I've even bought cars that are brand new fresh off the lot which is you know exciting but I feel like saying now I'm sitting around going, ooh, I'd love it, another car, a bigger Mm. car, a brighter car, a shinier car that's more expensive. And I think my 17-year-old self, if I would tell her what I currently drive, she would say, good on you. I will be totally happy when I have that. And here I am owning that going, well, I'm not happy with this because I want the next thing.
1: Mm. But the
0: truth is that won't make me happy um, because the happiness is not found in the thing.
1: No, that's true. And we have this, uh, we've got an episode sort of pegged for this in in my head anyway. I don't know if we've written it down, Tara, but on the whole culture of better Mm -hmm. and how dangerous that is for us and and how there is always better. And so you can, how can you be happy if there is always something better? Uh, So yeah, that's, that's very true too.
0: So the second belief that we want to talk about today and explore the idea of is The idea that we need to possess beauty to
1: enjoy it. Hmm, This is an interesting one and I've encountered this quite a lot with people who are very aesthetic, very creative, very artistic and they buy things because they're beautiful and they buy and that's fine, everyone does that, it's very normal, but it can become an unhelpful belief once it extends into high levels of clutter and start to then interfere with our lives. And I think the reason why why people do this is because for them, it's not good enough to just look at something beautiful. They have to possess it.
0: Yeah. And I think this infiltrates so many different areas of our lives. So some people possessing beautiful things can be about fashion and beautiful shoes and handbags and clothing. And rather than just appreciating how beautiful something looks on someone, they feel like they need to own that as well. Mm. And so they will keep acquiring things. The truth is there are millions and millions of beautiful things out there you can appreciate those things without needing to own them all and I think it's it's trying to stop take a moment appreciate the beauty of something without taking that next step to acquire it for yourself as well Um, and that's just in the fashion world I mean obviously this extends into so many other areas people that are addicted that's probably not the right word but really love acquiring art and beautiful pictures and prints to the point where they don't have space to hang them all or Mm. they hang so many that they compete and the pieces lose their beauty. But rather than just seeing something in a gallery and appreciating that beauty, they feel like they
1: need to take it home with them. Mm. And like op shopping, you know, walking in and seeing like a cute little vintage Japanese ceramic, and instead of sort of going, oh, isn't that really pretty? They go, oh, it's $3. I'm going to buy that because it's beautiful. And I think that, you know, breaking that habit can be really difficult to do because it is. it does come down to the belief that, you know, if, if I want to appreciate beauty, I need to have it with me all of the time and it can't leave me. And that sort of that belief then, um, yeah, does cause cause a lot of clutter. And it's not necessarily true that you need to possess the beauty to enjoy it. You can actually, you know, we don't we don't possess the sunset. um, And the good thing is that it comes frequently, so we can continue to enjoy it over and over again but we don't possess that and yet we still have the opportunity to enjoy it and we're not missing out because we don't own a sunset and I think that we need to sometimes step back and say, you know what, I don't need to own this. I can just appreciate its beauty and appreciate its existence and sit here and look at it and enjoy it and and then walk away and ready to find another piece of beauty to enjoy. And even if you could
0: capture that moment of sunset and put it in a beautiful frame and put it on your wall, it is still never going to be as good as experiencing it Mm. in real life. So I feel like as soon as you try and capture something, you almost diminish it because part of Mm. what makes things beautiful is how elusive they are. Yeah, that's true. And I feel like this is an area, especially people that are really crafty and um, love fabrics and sewing and there's this idea that if I can't if I don't grab this now this beautiful piece of fabric this beautiful pattern that it won't be here when I want it or um, Mm. you know I need to I need to take it with me now just in case I can never find it again and the truth Mm. is there are always going to be plenty of other beautiful options beautiful fabrics out there the people that I've seen and worked with that bring so many fabrics into their house just because they're beautiful. And the truth is you could spend your whole life just acquiring beautiful fabrics. Mm, if you're not so using them, mm. that's they're, they're sitting in a cupboard not being appreciated anyway. So why not walk through a fabric shop and look at the fabrics, touch them. If you really love them or they inspire you, maybe take a photo of them
1: mm.
0: and take that home and think about what you might do with that fabric before you
1: you think about acquiring it. Yeah, that's a good idea. So the third belief that we're going to be discussing today uh, is the idea that our stuff defines us. And I think you you might have a different view on this, Tara, but I actually think that this is something that is unconscious for the most part. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. Do you have any more to say on that? <laughs>
0: I was waiting for you to keep going
1: about whatever you were going to say next. Uh I don't have anything. I'm I'm, I'm 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 drawing a blank. I was hoping you had something. Um because we we don't really we don't really know that we're doing this and and a lot of people would say, "Oh no, I don't define myself by my stuff." But we actually do and uh, I was listening to this really interesting podcast episode on um, Hidden Brain about, oh, what was it about? Um, about class and how there's this new class of of people now. And um, it's if you want to listen to the episode, it's, it's on the Hidden Brain podcast and it's a recent one. But it's interesting that this new class that they were discussing actually isn't necessarily about possessions and stuff. It was more about our experiences and our lifestyle that is creating this new class. Um, and that's a whole other topic. But for the most part, I think in the past, it has been our stuff that has defined us. It has been the house and where we live and it's the car that we drive and it's the clothes that we wear. And a lot of the time we we find those things very inextricably linked to our own definition of ourselves. Uh, I, you know, like I'm the person who drives a four-wheel drive or I'm the person who wears all black or I'm a person who has lots of ear piercings. Uh, I, it's this stuff that um, that defines, you know, who who you are and it is changing um, and that podcast episode was really interesting about how there's a, a new class of breastfeeding, yoga class, whole food, preparing um, people out there that are defining themselves based on their experiences and their lifestyle rather than the car that they drive and where they, where they live. So, um, yeah, if you do want to tune into that podcast, I found that quite interesting. But in the past and pretty much predominantly now, we are defining ourselves by the things that we own and that we possess.
0: I think if you want to challenge yourself on this, go and find some archive footage of people that have lost everything people families that have experienced their homes being destroyed in bushfires or catastrophic floods or tsunamis things like that people that have come out the other side and own nothing but the clothes on their back and some of the stories that survivors tell are just phenomenal and I think there's so much to be learned from them. We shouldn't mm-hmm. have to all go through a horrendous situation where we have nothing left to realise that our stuff is not the marker of our being. Um, our stuff is just an extension of us and that is what we choose to bring into our life. And so you, a lot of these people that have been through these traumatic events have this really amazing understanding and aptitude for who they are as people because when everything else is stripped away, Mm. they still have relationships, they still have um, a sense of humour, they still, you know, have a sweet tooth and, you know, love to ride horses. You know, the things that are intrinsically you are not contained in any of the items in your surroundings or what you own. They're all things that are found within you, and those things actually can't be taken from you. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you want to give yourself a bit of a reality check and and remind yourself of what it means to be you, um, have a look at some of the the archival footage, and I'll see if I can dig something up um, with mm. some some people and pop a link on the website because it it does make you rethink about the value or the importance that you put on the things in your life yeah so our next belief that we want to discuss is that waste or the idea of waste is only about discarding that we waste something only if we're getting rid of it and this is so not true Mm -hmm. because there are plenty of things that are completely wasteful and wasted even though we keep them and hold on to them because if they're not bringing any value,
1: they are still wasted. Hmm. I have so many clients say, oh, "I can't get rid of that; it's a waste." And it's that that idea that throwing something away or discarding something away is the only time that you're actually wasting something um, is is quite. Um, Misguided—that sounds a bit harsh, but um, it's it's not it's not accurate because waste actually comes from something not being used as it's intended, and a lot of people equate waste with rubbish. But you can waste time, you can waste resources, and they don't necessarily end up in the rubbish. And so when you when you are singularly thinking about waste as rubbish or as what's gonna end up in landfill, you're actually then just, you're then discounting a whole category of belongings that you really should declutter because they're not giving you any value Uh, because they too are also uh, a waste. They are a waste of space. But the only difference is that the waste occurred at the point of acquisition more than anything else. You've bought something that you're never going to use and so you've wasted that money, you're wasting that item as soon as it's come into the house. And people get
0: into the mindset that to recoup the value or to make sure that something isn't wasted, they will hold on to it. But if you do a critical assessment those things in your house if they are not loved if they are not used if they're not bringing any joy to you then they are a waste and the Mm. truth is you can let go of them and they might stop being a waste because if you find someone else that will use that item then surely that's a much better thing than it's sitting around in your own home not being
1: used then it won't be a waste yeah yeah exactly so you can actually prevent waste by discarding items that you're currently wasting that are sitting in your home. So remember that. Waste is not just about throwing out. Waste is about not using something. And so whether you have it in your house or not, it's still a waste.
0: And we have one more belief to discuss, Beck. What's our last one?
1: Oh, this is one of my favourites. That the belief that we can't survive the consequences of letting go. That we can't survive the consequences of not having something when we need it, and this is a massive one. This is when the ones that people say, "With I might need it someday, or I might make something with that, or it's going to be inconvenient. Um, I'm going to have to replace it." All of those objections that come up when when you're wanting to discard something, and then your brain sort of starts to fire off all those alarms. But 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 I might need it someday. Basically, when you say I might need it someday, you're, you're pretty much saying, and I think I've said this before in, in an earlier episode on I might need it someday, um, we, we're really just saying I'm not prepared to face the consequences of not having this should I need it. And when we look at it that way, really, it becomes almost a bit silly for us to keep things that we might need someday because the consequences of not having them aren't nearly as bad as what our gut reaction says that they are. So there's that immediate panic, oh, but I can't get rid of that, I might need it someday. And then when you analyse it and you realise that the replacement cost of it is $3 and the time it will take you to get that replacement will be five minutes, all of this panic about letting go of it really does seem a little bit... um, What's the word? Catastrophizing.
0: And for some people, this belief can be completely paralyzing Mm, and stop you from making any decisions at all. And I still come up against this all the time. So I can think of a time only yesterday when I was admittedly procrastinating Mm. and (laughs) instead of doing what I needed to do on my desktop computer, I was cleaning up the <laughs> desktop space. Um, and so there's a whole, my kids use this computer too, so there's a whole lot of files, there's a PowerPoint, there's some photos, there's all bits and pieces randomly just saved to the desktop. Mm. And so I was, you know, dragging and dropping things into their little folders and files and I came across a couple of receipts that I had scanned Um to put with a health claim or something or other. I'm not even, it might have been, there might have been some work receipts there as well. And I'm like, okay. I'll just, and I remember thinking, I'll just, I'll just create a new folder to put these in. And then I'm like, well, hang on, why? What am I, what's what's the worst that's gonna happen if I delete this scan of a receipt? Uh worst case, they say, oh, we need another copy of that receipt. Well then I can find that receipt. And if I've thrown it out, I can call the dentist or whoever the receipt was from and say, can you provide me with another copy of my receipt mm. <laughs> from two months ago because I need to now provide another copy to my private health? I'm like, actually, when you think through it, it's completely unfounded that I would want to hold on to those things. And that's like it's minuscule. So mm. cool, drag them all to the trash, drop them, fine, no worries. And I will probably never give it another thought. And that is tiny. But when you extrapolate that out to every piece of paper, every widget and gadget in your house, and you think, if I let go of that, if I let go of that, then you will never let go of anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, If you think that the consequences of not having something are too unbearable, then you will keep everything. And so it's one of those beliefs that we really definitely need to challenge. And you basically have to say to yourself, I will be okay. And just like you did, Tara, you said, look, it's not such a big deal. In the end, I will be okay. And so I do that with clients all the time. And I say, what will happen if you don't have this? And so then they tell me what will happen and then I'll say and tell me why that's bad and then tell me what you would do then and tell me how you would feel. And once we start to go through all of those questions, they end up at the end for most things they will go, oh, okay, this thing isn't as important as I initially thought it was. But we have this gut reaction, this fear reaction that comes up first and that's the one that we act on. We don't actually give our brain time to process whether or not the risk is high or low, whether or not the probability is high or low, um, and what those consequences are and how we will feel about them in three weeks, in one month, in three years. Once we do all of that, we're actually much more equipped to, to decide whether or not we will be okay if we don't have that, should, should we need it? And, and, you know, what's the worst that could happen is a really good question to ask yourself. You know, like you said, what's the worst that could happen if I don't have that receipt and then I need it the worst that could happen is that you have to spend a bit of time ringing up somebody you might have to spend some money getting another statement printed for yourself Um, you might need to go to Bunnings and and buy another packet of nails um, because you got rid of the, the last lot and so those a lot of the time the consequences the worst that could happen really seems quite silly once you realize what it is and most of the time the worst that could happen is that you actually do need the item Because a lot of times when you do part with something, you don't need it. You're not going to need it again and it never comes up again. But there is a small percentage of times where you might need that again after you've discarded it. And so you need to sort of go, okay, the worst that could happen is that I need it again. That's the worst. And then what comes of that? do I then have to do something? Will I? Have, will someone be angry with me for a while because I discarded a, a gift that they gave me and the worst that could happen happened and they figured out that it had gone. And so what's the consequences of that? Will my relationship survive that, that hiccup? And once we sort of take it out to its logical conclusion, a lot of the time we will realise that we will actually be okay.
0: Absolutely. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And a lot of the items that we're talking about when we're talking about surviving the consequences of letting go are not things that you have that initial gut reaction to keep because mm. things that really add value and you would never dream of parting with, they kind of, it's it's a hell yes, I need to keep that. Do you need to keep this? Hell yes. It's all the items that are like, um, yeah, mm. they're the items that the ones that take you, you know, a millisecond longer to think about whether you need them they're the items that you need to be asking yourself okay hang on why why can't i let this go because quite often that initial strong reaction to keep something is quite good because you know it adds value you know the last time you wore it or used it but the items that you have to stop and pause and think okay oh no no i better keep that because that was a gift or i better keep that because i might need it or i better you know, when you start that language in your head, that dialogue of I'd better, that's when you need to halt mm. and ask yourself, okay, why can't I let it go? What's the worst that would happen? And a lot of the time it's it's completely illogical when you tease it out and then you ask yourself as well, what's the probability that the worst that could happen will happen? Yeah. And it's, you know, we're talking... Tiny percentages of chances that that will happen. The the chance that my private health needs me to submit another receipt is probably 0.002%. Okay, so then all the illogical thoughts about keeping that and how hard it might be to recoup that if I need it, the chances of them even actually asking for it, Mm. the chances of the worst thing happening are so minute. That all my stress and worry, and feeling the need to hang on to something, mm, yeah. is not worth it. Completely senseless. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: and I, I use that that hell yes thing with my clients quite a lot of the time. I watch their face when I'm asking them about belongings, and there's a few that um, that that's kind of cottoned on to my method. But I watch their face, and I I look to see whether or not the hell yeah turns up the expression turns up on their face or not and when it turns up immediately sometimes I don't even ask them about the item I can just see in their face that that's a hell yeah item and so I'll go oh okay this one's staying and they look at me and go oh yeah it is and then the next one comes up and I I watch their face and they'll get a an expression of contemplation and as soon as they do that I'm like I hit them with the questions well first of all I let them decide you know make a make an initial decision of yes i need it or no i don't but if they say yeah i'm going to keep that and yet they've had that look on their face the the lack of the hell yeah and that look of contemplation or doubt uh, and which i can read very quickly i will question them and i will say really okay so let's analyze this a little bit let's look at what's the worst that could happen and get them to go through that questioning and sometimes we do a- arrive at the conclusion of yes it's staying uh, but a lot of the time their initial I am keeping it decision gets overridden by themselves. They do it. I don't do it. They're the ones that decide once we go through that process of looking at um, the, the consequences and looking at the probability and them telling themselves, yeah, you know what, I'll, I'll be okay without that.
0: So I think that that wraps up the five beliefs that we were going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Number one, I'm just going to recap them quickly for you, was buying things that make us happy. Number two was we need to possess beauty to enjoy it. Number three was our stuff defines us. Number four was waste is only about discarding. And number five is we can't survive the consequences of letting go. So if you find yourself in a situation where you have lots of clutter, hopefully today and our unpacking a few of these beliefs has planted a seed so that you can examine Some of the thoughts when you're acquiring or when you're trying to let go, and really challenge those beliefs that you've got to see if they're
1: founded. Yeah, and um, feel free to share with us online if you've come up with any other beliefs that you think are causing clutter in your life. So contact us on social media. We love having a chat in our Be Uncluttered community on Facebook with people that are listening and um, and on Instagram or email us uh, because we really love to hear more. And um, the the more you can share with our other listeners, the more they would appreciate it and the more they'll learn about themselves as well. And
0: today's challenge, we are going to do CDs and DVDs. So first question, do you even own a CD or a DVD (laughs) player anymore? If you do not, then you really need to ask yourself why you still have CDs and DVDs. Think about whether you can condense some of these titles and put them onto some of your other digital devices can you upload them to your computers or your ipads or your ipods and save them that way in a format that you can use them and if you're having trouble letting go try and keep a best of think of your hall of fame and keep the best of the best of your cds and dvds rather than every item that you've acquired
1: Thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed listening, we'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all of your friends about us so they too can be uncluttered. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or via Facebook and Instagram or on our own websites at clearspace.net.au and basklifecoaching.com.